Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Focus Weekly Discipleship Podcast. My name is Kevin Rognes, and I'm the Discipleship Director here at Faith Covenant Church. I just want to thank you for taking some time, whether you're listening or watching today. I'm just really grateful that you would uh, choose to spend a little bit of your time with us. So we recently wrapped up a series on spiritual disciplines, and so now I'm just going to do a couple of episodes of uh, passages of, of Scripture that I think are just interesting or challenging. And so today I want to talk about repentance, because I think that's something that we don't often talk a lot about. And there's a particular aspect of repentance that I find really interesting that um, has really been convicting to me over time and has really challenged me. And so I'm hoping that I can share this challenge with you and maybe even get some feedback from you on what you think about this. So as always, I encourage you to uh, use my email address that is listed in the comments of the episode and let me know if you have any thoughts or questions about this. So, like I said, we're talking about repentance today, and so I'm just going to use a little bit of a resource to kind of tell us a little bit about what repentance is. So this is my uh, trusty Bible dictionary. It's a very uh, thick book, obviously. Um, It's a wonderful resource that I use for a lot of different things, um, looking at particular words and what they mean in Scripture um, and that sort of thing. So when I'm looking at uh, the repentance uh, subject here. What's interesting is that most of the um, references to repentance in the Old Testament use a Hebrew word that is shub, which means to turn, return back, restore, reverse, or bring back. And so that's mostly what we see when we um, have repentance in the Old Testament. It's this word shub that indicates a complete turning from one direction or one thing to another. So the idea with this is that a person is maybe pursuing um, sin in some way and they have turned away from God. And so to repent is to then turn back to God. It's to return to God, to reverse, to bring your allegiance back to God. Um, Let me see. There's a couple other interesting pieces here. Um, So like uh, a lot of the ways that um, the Old Testament expressed uh, repentance in outward ways is through things like fasting and mourning, sometimes while sitting in dust or pouring ashes or dust upon one's head, rending garments, wearing sackcloth, and offering sacrifices. So there's a lot of ways that repentance happens. We do get a lot of uh, descriptions in the Old Testament of repentance only becoming an outward thing. So those things I mentioned were sometimes just things that people did to act like they were repentant, but really they had not truly turned away. What God is hoping for with repentance is that we genuinely turn away with our whole selves, including our heart, so that we are truly turning back to God. Similarly, um, in the New Testament, the Greek words that are used for this are metaneo, or the cognate of noun metanoia. Most of these happen in Luke's Luke and Acts. So these terms are used to express the complete turnaround in one's way of life, including conversion, faith, and regeneration. 
So the New Testament, although it uses different words since it's written in a different language with Greek, it uses similar concepts of turning completely around, a giant turnaround in someone's life. So when I read through the Bible, I when I see repentance, I automatically think turning. Turning in a new direction, turning around, turning back to the way things were supposed to be with God. So with repentance, one thing that I've noticed over time is that Christians often think of repentance in terms of individual, or at least let me rephrase, American Christians often think about repentance in terms of individual repentance, repenting for your own personal sins and the things that you personally have done. And that's a good thing. That is very necessary. We all need to be spending time in repentance thinking about the things that we have done as individuals and repenting of that. I need to take time in my relationship with God to say, okay, I've been looking in this direction in some way, shape, or form, but God, I want to turn back to you and do things the way that th- uh, the way that things are supposed to be done. That is absolutely critical. However, America is a very individualistic culture. That in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. However, in our unique American Christianity, we often think that repentance is only individual. Again, individual repentance is important, but we're missing something when we think that repentance is only individual. Because America is such a highly individualized culture, we worry about our own choices, our own responsibility, all of those things. And yes, we should be aware of those things. However, there are biblical expressions of corporate or community repentance and corporate or community responsibilities. It's important for us to look at that. So to do that, I'm going to look at two passages, one in Nehemiah 8 and 9 and the other in Daniel 9. So both of these deal with Israel in a very interesting place in history. In both cases, in both texts, the country of Israel that had been God's chosen nation um, eventually went deeply astray. They had a civil war, kind of several civil wars that kind of stretched out over a long period of time and kind of essentially became two nations, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And then over time, both of those nations were conquered by outside parties. When these other nations conquered these outside parties, um, they essentially deported the Israelites to other places in the world and then imported other people into what had been Israel's territory. So that's a little bit of the context of what leads us to where we are today. The other thing to mention is that the reason that the Bible says that Israel and Judah were both conquered by the outside territories is that Israel and Judah had fallen astray from God's word. They began worshiping foreign gods, worshiping foreign idols, doing all sorts of horrible things that were contrary to the way that God had intended them to be. And so as a result, they lost their land, they lost their status as a nation, and they were deported into these other countries. Now, eventually in time, some Israelites that were deported were able to come back to Israel and come back to Jerusalem 
and begin rebuilding. That's the story that we see in Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah is is all about how a group of people came back to uh, Jerusalem and against all odds and with a lot of opposition, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and rebuilt their city in a shockingly short period of time. And so that's kind of where this story picks up after they've kind of rebuilt the walls in a very uh, short amount of time. So we pick up the story in Nehemiah 8, and I'm going to read just a couple of portions of Nehemiah 8 um, before and 8 and 9 before we move on to a passage in Daniel. So uh, Nehemiah 8, starting with verses 1 through 3. And again, this is after they've rebuilt the city walls in a short period of time with a lot of opposition from other entities. So it says, All the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. So here there's this idea that the uh, everybody in Jerusalem that has returned is now ready to hear the law that they haven't heard in a very long time. They have been ignoring um, Jewish worship practices of the true God. And so now they're gathering together and saying, okay, let's go back to our roots and see what this says about our faith and the way we should be living. So, and and also it's, it's worth noting that all the men, women, and everybody able to understand, other translations say basically everybody who was old enough to get it was present at this assembly. So while Ezra was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, women, and those who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. So for most of them, this is kind of the first time they're reading um, the book of the law. So the books that Moses had written. So this is Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, um, some of those earliest books of the Bible. And so we skip then to verse 8 and kind of see some of the reaction that the people had when they experienced this. So they read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to, your, uh, to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. So they were having this strong emotional reaction because they realized we are not living in step with God's law. And that was bringing them to a place of weeping. They were mourning and sad over the fact that they had not been following God in the ways they should have been. And as a result, they had lost their homeland. Many people had been killed, deported, and sent other places. So there's a lot of mourning here. Continuing in verse 10, it says, Then uh, he, he being Ezra, said to them, Go out and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, since today is holy. Don't grieve. 
Then all the people began to eat and drink, send portions, and have a great celebration because they had understood the words that were explained to them. So initially, they are deeply upset in the ways that they have not followed the law. But uh, Ezra and the other priests, they say, for now we're going to celebrate because we are excited that we now know what God's word says as a community. We know this together, so let's celebrate God's word together. So they do that, and they do that over the span of several verses. So now we're going to skip into Nehemiah um, 9 after they've spent a whole bunch of time, several weeks worth of celebration, and that takes a bunch of different forms. Um, Read all about it in Nehemiah 8. It's fascinating. Um, But in Nehemiah 9, they get to the end of this celebration period and things take a turn. So on the 24th day of this month, the Israelites assembled. They were fasting, wearing sackcloth, and had put dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their ancestors. While they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law of, their, of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day and spent another fourth of the day in confession and worship of the Lord their God. So confession is a word that is very similar to repentance. It's an admission of guilt of we have done these things. And I want to go back to what it says in verse 2 of verse 9, where it says they confessed their sins. So communally, as a community, they confessed the things that they personally had done in their present time, in their present generation, and the iniquities of their ancestors. They confess that, hey, our ancestors sinned. Our ancestors did all these things wrong that led us to this point here where we are facing struggles as a people. To me, that is very strange as an American who has been raised in a very individualistic society. As a country, as um, even like as a country, but also as a church within America, we do not do this very much. We do not do confession of things that other people did. We like to say, oh, I was not a part of that. I don't need to confess that because I was not a part of that. Scripture gives us a very different example. Scripture gives us an example of people saying, I am a part of a country, I'm a part of a people group that has sinned today, yes, and we confess our role in that, but we also are confessing and repenting the sins of people past. Why is that theologically important? I think that's theologically important because it helps us realize the traditions that we are a part of. We can't change the present of today unless we know what led us to that point. And if there are problems of the past that led us to this point today that is lamentable, then we need to confess the sins of the past, even if they're not our sins. This is something that has deeply challenged me over the last several years, and I'm sure may challenge many of you, because many of us have grown up in this context where we take responsibility for our own actions 
and repent of our own actions. And yes, again, that is important. But there is also biblical precedent for acknowledging the ways that our ancestors and the culture that came before us has made or has had problems. Another example that we see that's really similar comes in Daniel 9. So um, Daniel is a very interesting book. Um, Daniel was a uh, Israelite priest that was living in Babylon. Um, like I said earlier, many of the Israelites had been, once their country was taken over, they were deported. One of the countries that they were deported into was Babylon. So during Israel's time in exile in Babylon, Daniel was a Jew who was very devout, a very devoted follower of the one true God. And he was just a phenomenal leader um, to his people that were living in exile. So even though they couldn't worship in the ways that they normally did, um, Daniel was a really great example of what following God looks like, even in a foreign nation where they are under some level of oppression. And so a whole lot of things happened during Daniel. We're not going to go through all of them. Um, but in Daniel 9, there's an interesting passage where um, Daniel 9 or Daniel spends time in personal confession about sins that he was not a part of. And this is just really interesting. So I'm going to go ahead and start um, with Daniel 9, um, starting at verse 1. In the first year of Darius, who was a particular ruler that Daniel was serving under um, in Babylon, um, Darius, who was the son of Ahasuerus, some other king, a Mede by birth, who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, and Daniel was writing this at the time, I, Daniel, understood from the books, according to the word of the Lord, to the prophet Jeremiah, that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. So I had turned my attention to the Lord God and to seek him by prayer and petition with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So basically Daniel's saying, I'm serving under this foreign king in a foreign nation. I have studied the word of God, and here is the prayer that I did during a period of mourning. So Daniel writes, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. And kind of here's his prayer, starting in verse 4. Ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. We have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants and prophets who spoke in your name to, to our kings, leaders, ancestors, and the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us, the men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are near and those who are far in all the countries where you have banished them because of the disloyalty they have shown you. I'll continue in a moment, but I think you're noticing that I'm pointing out all these words that indicate a larger body. We, they, us. This is, again, just Daniel speaking, and he is. this is a solo prayer that Daniel is praying to God alone, not in the presence of other people. 
continuing on with verse 8. And keep paying attention to when I say these communal words. Lord, public shame belongs to us, our kings, our leaders, and our ancestors, because we have sinned against you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord, our God, though we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord, our God, by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. All, all Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. I think you see where I'm going with this. The prayer continues on with similar language throughout of repeating that we have caused a problem. Again, this is Daniel on his own praying to God alone. These are not sins that Daniel was a part of. Daniel is saying these leaders of the past led our people astray. These kings of the past led our people astray. Our ancestors did all these things, but we today are still guilty because in some way we're still repeating the sins of the past and or we have not yet repented or had that moment of turning away. So Daniel, as an individual, is confessing the sins of a larger group that he was not a part of in the past. That's very challenging for myself and for many of us. This is a great example of the way that the Bible is instructive for us and helps us to really analyze ourselves and say, am I living in the way that God intended us to live? Again, it's very challenging because in, for those of us who are from America or maybe more largely the Western Hemisphere, we have very individualistic cultures that say we only take responsibility for ourselves. The Bible challenges this narrative that we're living in today and says, no, there is precedent for individuals today or communities today to acknowledge the sins and the problems of the past and to confess those sins, to repent of those sins and turn away back to God. So that all is just this, and let me rephrase, there are many, these are just two instances of this happening. There are numerous instances throughout the Bible of this sort of communal confession. There are, of course, also many instances of individual personal confession. But we need to be in practice of both of those things, both personal confession and repentance and communal corporate, uh, communal or corporate confession and repentance. That's the challenge that I think the Bible has for all of us, myself included. And I hope that's one that you can take with you as you go about your day. So um, if you disagree, I'd love to hear about that. If you agree, I'd love to hear about that. So again, I encourage you to make this a wider conversation in your families, with your friends, in your small groups, whatever that may be. We need to challenge each other because as it says in Proverbs, iron sharpens iron. So let's do that. Let's challenge each other and let the Bible speak into our lives in ways that are life-giving 
and life-changing. As always, I want to encourage you to make sure you subscribe, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on any of the major podcasting platforms, to make sure that you never miss any of our content. Thank you so much for watching or listening, and I hope you have a wonderful and blessed day.